Welcome back to the Wanderer's Tarot. I'm Seamus, they, them. I invite you on a deep dive into the creation and decomposition of the Wanderer's Tarot deck. In our first episode last week, we talked about how the Fool transforms into the Wanderer. I felt called into so many of these transformations that by the time I drafted all the cards, the language of the deck had almost entirely changed. And I find myself coming to the question, why tarot? Why use tarot at all if it requires so much deconstruction, right? If there's so much of it that I feel the need to shed or throw out, why are we here at all? Um... If I'm radically reshaping the language and the imagery of the deck, then what remains? The structure, maybe? Uh, its patterns? So what is the point of working within that structure? Stricture, scripture. Hmm, these little echoes pop up. Structure, stricture, scripture. Let's see what that's about. I want to look up a couple definitions. Sometimes I get kind of lost in what a word means, so I like to return to a definition to kind of find a you are here X on a map so we can kind of orient myself in the landscape of a word. Um, I find this especially helpful when a word is thrown around a lot in a lot of different contexts and everyone's putting their own baggage on it and the meaning of it gets kind of slippery. Um, right, like, uh, it's important to recognize all those, like, nuances and the ways that words are changing, but it's good to go back to the definition as kind of a, an anchor point. Um, radical is one of those slippery words, uh, and I tend to use it a lot because I like the overlap of its meanings, um, nowadays when people use radical in conversation, it means... It usually just means something like extremist, uh, and there's this sense of a demand for dramatic change, depending and depending on your relation to the topic and the word, that change can seem scary and extreme, or good and necessary for growth. But before that, radical only meant related to or coming from a root, like the root of a plant. people interested in fundamental social and political change then begin to use it in phrases like radical reform and there was this backlash from people who found those changes threatening um and I like it because I think we collectively could uh benefit from looking more at the roots of our problems Anyway, that was a tangent. I was talking about structure. So definition of structure. The arrangement of and relations between the parts or elements of something complex. Or organization of parts as dominated by the general character of the whole. Or something arranged in a definite pattern of organization. So what I get from that is structure is a story that bridges our understanding of the parts 
and a whole. Structure gives us a system, support, a path to walk, a blueprint that we can revise towards new purposes. And within the context of this project, the tarot provides like kind of a recipe along with history and critiques to take into consideration as I cook up my own deck according to my own uh, tastes and goals. Um, this, pro- this podcast is very much that process made public. Um, so why am I interested in keeping the organization of the deck while shedding so much of its language and imagery? Because the structure of the tarot itself is a language that many people are familiar with. It's a common starting point. Right, so this is kind of an experiment. We are very much inside the question. Is it possible for the tarot to shed enough that it can become a tool for decolonization? Right. So now I'm going to circle back around to those other couple words that came up. Stricture. Stricture. I wasn't even sure this was a word at first, but it is and it fits. So we have, quote, an abnormal narrowing of a body passage or a constriction of the breath passage in the production of a speech sound or something that closely restrains or limits, unquote. So from that, the bit about speech interests me the most. When it came to me, I recognized it as a word about constriction, restraint. But it also brings speech, sound. There is some amount of stricture necessary for verbal communication. It brings to me the questions what limitations might feed creation and what limitations smother it. And then on to scripture. This one feels a little more on the nose. Uh, Scripture is a body of writings considered sacred or authoritative, but it also can just mean something that is written. There's this interesting tension between those two definitions. Many of the earliest writings are sacred or authoritative. Hold on. That's not entirely true. Many of the earliest writings were practical, like calendars or records of transactions. Uh, But we tend to have this idea of ancient writings as sacred and scriptural, because maybe that is what we continue to hold as still being meaningful and relevant to our lives. So we have this disproportionate association of old writing and sacred writing. Hmm. Let's bring it back to the tarot specifically. The tarot community 
largely holds up the Smith Rider Waite deck as scripture. It is by far not the oldest deck, and yet it is the cornerstone of most tarot system interpretations. The definitive tarot from which the vast majority of modern decks emerge. But tarot decks started as a game, as a place, as a place of play. It shares a common ancestor with the 52 card playing deck. How do we get from game to scripture? Intention, maybe? Time can do that too, generally, but I think I want to explore intention for now. Mm. The Smith Rider Weight deck functions as scripture because that is what it was made to do. It was designed as a scripture of the occults for the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. With all these esoteric symbols encoded into it, right? So they could use it as a vessel of knowledge for an exclusive magical sect. So there's all this like hierarchy and gatekeeping built into it as well as like the encoding of the symbols themselves. So it is scripture because it was made to be, but it is also scripture because we want it to be. We reach for that because culturally that is how we know how to interact with the holy, the divine through authoritative, semi-historical texts. But let's poke at that a bit. Why do we need to be told something for it to be true? Everything was made up at some point, and what is made can be unmade. Just because something is doesn't mean it must be. We as a whole, as a collective, are out of practice in taking responsibility for our own spiritual and moral compasses. I suspect this is by design because it benefits those with power inside the machine of capitalist empire. Ideas are sharpened into tools of control. Christianity, white supremacy, patriarchy, our culture, hang on, what do I mean by that? Who is we? What is our culture? I am speaking as a person born into various overlapping privileges and oppressions. I'm white, American, middle class, queer, able-bodied, neurodivergent, assigned female at birth, This is the point that I am observing from. And I can have all these thoughts and feelings about these various identities, but they do describe something about my perspective. Right? The intersection of them creates the coordinates of the social position that I am making these observations from and I'm committed to 
dismantling the parts of that identity that seek to give me power over others. As much as I am committed to dismantling the parts of that identity that seeks to give others power over me. Um, and I'm very, very much in the process of figuring out what the fuck that means. Um, but the crux of it is I am interested in moving from inside the limitations of our current power structures into a world that reflects the more expansive possibilities that I feel are available to us. And when I say we, I'm kind of reaching in both of these directions. I'm speaking to everyone born within the suppressive systems at all intersections of experience, and I'm reaching for those people who are called into that more expansive reality. And when I say our culture, I think it will often be shaped um, by Americanness because that is where I speak from, but I suspect there will be resonances beyond that because this colonial capitalist machine has a global reach. And I can only speak from my own experience and it is up to you to find the edges of that to to part of this whole autonomy bit is for you to determine for yourself where those edges are and like how that overlaps with your own experience and if you do not feel represented in the moments that I say we especially if your experience is of like of like more intersections of oppression um please know that you are so welcome in this space um i often use these we's to call in what needs to be examined by the people who share similar privileges as i do and if that's not helpful or welcoming way to go about this, then I'm absolutely open to talking about what might work better. So, our culture is shared in a way that teaches us, both inside the education system and out, to accept as fact what is handed down from these centralized authorities. A fact is an objective truth and therefore not to be questioned. But facts are not as stable a category as you might think. Throughout history, what we know to be true is always shifting. And when we blindly accept truths handed to us, we're kind of we're surrendering the autonomy over our own lives. And our own, like, reality, really. Um, the possibility of, this, of the world become limited to the scope of the facts that we have been handed. Um, facts constructed by and through these systems of power and are therefore biased towards upholding them. 
This is where a healthy sense of skepticism and autonomy come in. It's harder to be autonomous. There's more work involved, more thinking to do. I know it's a lot, but we've got to do it. We've, we've got to do it. Um, and European colonial culture is so steeped in these ways of knowing that even at the edges, we still enact those patterns. Often marginalized white folks in seeking alternative sources of truth, we tend to fall into other groups that recenter us in kind of alternative oppressive patterns. This happens over and over again. You see this in queer spaces, in spiritual or witchy spaces, in community organizing. Right, it kind of um, this op- these oppressive patterns are self-replicating, and because we aren't careful, we track the oppressive patterns in with us when we move into new communities, and it's important to add that these aren't conclusions that I come to solely on my own. I understand this to be true because when I seek to learn, I work to center people who have more or different intersections of oppression as me. Black folks, indigenous folks, disabled folks. So we need to be really intentional as we individually and collectively move out of these oppressive systems that we really reflect and do the work to clear away these invasive ideas and patterns or they will follow us into whatever spaces we move into um and that kind of that brings us to what does that work look like and i'm very much in the middle of figuring that out, but a big one for me so far is listen to the folks that are being hurt, especially when you feel confronted by uncomfortable truths about the ways that you might be hurting others. All of this feels very connected to the justice card. Lindsay Mack describes this card as calling us to get really clear on what is actually here so that we can move towards what comes next and the path towards justice. I feel like the justice card calls us to observe reality really carefully, but it is crucial that that is followed by the tangible work. So I come I come back around to the question why tarot? I could just make something entirely new. Right? But even then, it would still require a deep reflection process to make sure I wasn't blindly replicating any of these harmful ideas. And there's something about tarot that's appealing as a starting point language 
a common language, a shared language. You don't have to start from square one to have a conversation about it. And there's something that calls to me in that, in the particular motion of dissecting it, disassembling it, compost, decomposition. In taking that decomposition path with the tarot, it works muscles in us that can be applied to other structures. It becomes this playground where we can learn mushroom lessons, how to break down what is so that there is room for what could be to grow. Decomposing the tarot becomes this practice that strengthens and trains us for even greater decomposition work ahead. In creating this deck, I hope to build a bridge from what is and what has been into whatever more expansive possibilities lie beyond that. The renaming has been really central to this process. When I sat down to the task of creating a deck, I knew right away that there were some changes that needed to be made. And the first axis that came up for me was gender. This probably came up first because it's generally the first axis of of inclusivity to be addressed um, because white women and queer folk often push our way to the front lines of inclusion. Um, This is especially true, I'm assuming, well, from what I see, in a space like tarot, um, generally an alternative space where othered white folks can carve out their own little bit of the colonial project. Trailing behind the capitalist machine and picking through cultural rubble and appropriating whatever shiny bits catch their eye. The tarot is already steeped in this. The Smithwaite deck is full of Hebrew letters and decontextualized Jewish and Egyptian symbolism. And I'm not exempt from this criticism, right? When I first approached the idea of creating my deck, my first concern was to remove gender from the cards in a way that made me feel more comfortable inside them. And that made me feel more included. Uh, But I quickly, I pretty quickly realized that it wasn't as simple as that, right? One thing kind of rolled naturally into the other. Um, Many of the most gender card are steeped in deeply hierarchical value systems, right? So on the surface, when you take gender out of kings and queens and emperor and empress, you essentially get a gaggle of cards that all point to slight variations of leadership. And if you pull out the sense of God-given authority from these cards, what, what energies are left? What is left behind once you shed all of that? What words might you use to describe them? 
And if we're pulling out these names, we might as well pull out everything hierarchical. And if we're pulling out all these hierarchical traditions, we might as well pull out Christian references. And if we're pulling out Christian references, we might as well pull out other historical cultural references. And I want the language to be accessible, so I'm going to pull out what is so esoteric or outdated that it doesn't mean anything to us on its own anymore. And at this point, what cards haven't we renamed? Death, justice, strength, celestial bodies stay the same, moon, star, sun, the world, lovers remain the same. But everything else falls into this really exciting domino effect, pulling it all down and apart. Like the tarot's own tender little tower moment. This deck has the potential to keep evolving without end. Each drawing, even if it is self-sufficient enough that I would call it finished, is a snapshot. It's a photograph of the energy of the card. It says as much about the thread of the energy of the card as a photo does about a person. An impression of a fragment of an experience, and yet that's not insignificant, right? At the very least, photographs are powerful enough that we can have complicated relationships with them. Imagine laying all the cards of the tarot out on a spectrum, like the color spectrum you select a color from on a computer, one that goes from light to dark on one axis and through the whole rainbow of color on the other. Each image of the tarot is a point on the spectrum, but so much exists between these points. A lot of my drafts turn out to be combination, uh, combinations of the cards in a way where they end up kind of floating in that in-between space. I might actually make a companion deck of those in-between cards down the line. Um, it seems to be emerging pretty naturally from the process. Hmm... I am noticing a lot of the movement of the deck seems to be about expansion, uh, but that sets off a little bell, a little, a little warning bell, an association between expansion and the colonial cultural ideas of profit, of hoarding wealth, expanding territory, monopolizing influence. But this is not the kind of expansion I'm reaching for. This expansion is born from a place of scarcity and driven by greed. It's a dominating kind of expansion where what is enveloped is consumed, often followed by homogenization or forced assimilation. This is the expansion that we see with an invasive plant species, or the machine of white supremacy, where it, cons where it constantly 
eats at its edges, incorporating what was once outside into itself. How American whiteness expanded out from select European ethnicities to include Irish or Italians or how the edges of whiteness are currently being blurred by the trendiness of appropriating the styles and features of people in color, of people of color. But this is not the kind of expansion that I am reaching for. It's a Is a different kind of expansion possible? Mm, I, th- I think so. I think this distinction is not only possible, but crucially important for our growth. I am reaching for an expansion of awareness. A rippling out of awareness from the self that carries us into greater and greater empathy. Actually, this is kind of the exact opposite of the kind of colonial expansion I was just describing. This empathetic expansion has a kind of translucence that allows all the parts of it to remain ecstatically authentic. This expansion does not require the choking sameness, but revels in the difference of its parts. This expansion... This is the expansion through which we can feel the earth as a living being, in and with which we all live. Through this expansion, we can feel into the scales of the universe. And in broadening our perception into the very big and the very small, we can begin to detect rhythms. The patterns of the universe resonate at all these different scales. A perspective which allows us to move through seasons of creation and destruction to create more and more intricate patterns, which leads to greater and greater difference, whose diversity in turn stabilizes. We can recognize change and the unknown as the only guarantee of this human experience. So, better to find a way to get comfortable in the cycles. I... I'm a bacteria in the gut of the world. More than half of me are microbes, beings alive in their own right. More than half of me, more than half of you. Knowing that, how could I not imagine that the whole earth is alive and I am a bacteria in the gut of the world? I want to round this episode out with an overview of the major arcana, but rather than list it out, I wrote a little story poem. 
some of the new names kind of blend into the poetry, so I will post the poem with a car with I will so I will post the poem with all the card names capitalized in the show in the show notes. The fool has been the wonderer, shy of the prying eye and free of shame leaps. The magician, shedding pretense, becomes the shaper who molds us through practice. The high priestess, cast aside, for guarding too closely the veil beyond which our ancestors lie. The empress, once decomposed, reveals us the inherent abundance of the world. The emperor, only bones, is fossilized deep within the mountain of embodiment. We turn away from the hierarchy of the hierophant towards knowing through reflection. Lovers dissolve into lovers, the chariot into chrysalis that carries us on a wind, into the awakening of justice we open our eyes. The seeker might travel farther than the hermit could into the dark of the self, into the eye of the storm where we find refuge from the wheel of fortune. And from there emerges a strength capable of holding a storm. The hanged one becomes rooted to the earth which holds us tenderly through death, whose dissolution carries us past temperance and into the river, whose flow runs beyond the devil and into revolution and evolution. Change sweeps us into the storm which has toppled the tower and built mountains. The star, shining, offers an elusive healing. The moon carries us through tides of change, hardening the armor that protects, and we return to the sun, a child again. Over the ruckus of judgment, we hear the call, our call, that leads us home, safe in the womb of the world to grow. To see ourself, the patternist. The patternist is new, a kind of reflection of the wanderer. The patternist is a spider, sits at the center of the web of pattern, capable of sensing into all of it, capable of weaving new patterns. Originally, she was sort of sort of an alternative zero card, but I think I might give her the infinity. I like them as a pair, the patternist and the wanderer. Everything and nothing all at once. <sighs> Thanks for listening. I think that's that'll that'll do us for this week. Um, you can find me at The Wanderer's Tarot on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And until next week, be gentle with yourself. Take care.